you guys see this uh, ruggedized nuck? How crazy is this thing? You ready for this? It's a nuck with Broadwell and Bay Trail. Uh, you can go uh, with a couple of gigabit ports on some of them. Uh, the standard one only has one gigabit port. It's fanless. It's got this Ooh, built-in one with cooling. two gigabit ports. Yeah, yeah. Router bitches. Yeah, and also no fans. Look at that. It's uh, got the uh, thin cooling there. I think it's pretty cool. One thing, uh, the one thing I'm not happy with these Nuxa is the uh, power supply. But this one looks like it has an interlocking connector, a little bit better of a uh, superior connector, which would be better for production. Like, I want to put these in a rack and make them Skype rigs. Pretty cool. <laughs> I know it's overkill, but they're, they're pretty neat. Uh, they're using the 14 nanometer Broadwell processors. Gosh, these are kind of cool. Well, serial port. Look at this, Alan. Uh, well. Alan, this is perfect. It's got a serial port right here on the front for you. Now, ah, I saw one, the newer ones with a serial port demonstrated, uh, they got a live demo of Zen uh, with FreeBSD as a host at uh, AsiaBSDCon. Uh, the guy brought a NUC that had, was all set up with FreeBSD Zen. So so FreeBSD was the host of the Zen yes, virtualizer? FreeBSD as Dom0. Uh, how does that Zen work? Zen has been ported to FreeBSD. <laughs> I thought that was a Linux kernel thing. <laughs> nope. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, why uh, would you know, Hive so close? There's lots close? of people. Uh, what's that? Um, well, because Zen's even Zen can run Windows on FreeBSD already, and Beehive is a long way off for that. Gotcha. So. Got, oh, of course, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Although Beehive is further ahead in hardware pass through, but Zen will be able to catch up more easily. Hmm. Wow. Basically, because Citrix realized that Linux is toxic. Oh, ouch, Alan. That hurts. That hurts. They don't want to be the next VMware. Wow, Alan. Wow! Right? Oh my gosh! Look at you. Nice. Those are good ones. That's fine, Alan. I'm, it doesn't Sorry, hurt. I, I wasn't trolling. I felt like good trolling. If we believe, yeah, it's very good trolling. I understand, <laughs> but at the same time, people just don't want to get sued. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's feeling the luck of the Irish. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Oh, hey, Matt. Happy uh, St. Patrick's Day, Terry. Are you doing anything to celebrate the uh, festivities today? Realizing that everything I own that is green, it is dirty, and I am hiding in my house because of it. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah that's a good call, Matt. That's a good call. Yeah. <laughs> see, the St. Patrick's Day, see, we're not big on the drinking these days, uh, but we wanted to make it special. So uh, eight years ago on St. Patrick's Day, I married the wife, uh, the, the Angela Fisher. Yeah. Yeah, so today's our anniversary, so we get to have extra fun on St. Patrick's Day. So also a special happy anniversary to Angela. And uh, I'll be going home after Linux Unplugged, and maybe we'll do something fun for dinner. But cool. uh, we today have a great show, even though I don't think anybody's drinking. Man, we screwed that one up. I don't have any beer in the studio today. But we do have, uh, we do have a great show coming up. Uh, I have uh, a make good first. Just a little bit towards the feedback, in the feedback, um, I wanted to play an, an interview with uh, an Ubuntu representative at scale a couple of weeks ago, but we had some clipping in the, in the video, so I said, ah, scrap it, scrap it. Well, I went back, I figured out why it was clipping, and I pulled out probably the most important bit, and that is, Noah says, well, what are you guys going to do to challenge Android in the market share? He pins that question on him, and then after he answers that question, Noah says, okay, so what are you going to do to get desktop staples like Thunderbird? to work in a converged environment. And uh, he has an answer for that. Two great questions, so I pulled those out. We're going to play those and see what uh, Canonical's answer is uh, in a converged desktop. But, uh, Matt, we have a lot of other things to get to, like the ultimate Linux laptop. We got, we got 
A lot of things, Matt. But right now, we got to stop and recognize that something very important has happened in the world of Linux today, Tuesday, March 17th, 2015. Bioshock graces Linux. Right now, uh, I have it installed on my machine upstairs. Uh, Bioshock Infinite is officially available for Linux. A uh, little bit of a mixed blessing. A uh, really good game. Really, I, I played I, – I actually installed the trial, you know, like 120-day eval of Windows yeah. 8 to try Ooh. this game. I was so excited. And uh, I loved it. I just couldn't stand using Windows, so I quit playing. And I said, I'll, right. I'll just wait for Linux. Now I know I love the game. I already own it. I'll just wait for Linux. I don't ever do that. I made an exception with this game, and I really, really enjoyed it. Today I downloaded it and started playing again. Uh, it, was, it was working beautifully. Yeah, I have it set to max settings, yeah, full screen resolution, which on my 2K monitor looks really great. Uh, however, it is using that same Eon wrapper that The Witcher 2 was using that got a lot of criticism. Well, so the $10,000 question is how is it affecting performance? Because that's, that's always my go-to thing before right. we get into like you know whether it's right or wrong. Or... I think it's too early to say because last time okay. we had this come out – you know, I didn't have any performance issues. Again, I don't have any performance issues. But, of course, I'm running it on an NVIDIA card, pretty modern mm. driver set, pretty good right. i7 off of a 10,000 RPM RAID 0 set of drives. Like, it's a pretty good use case scenario for something that's going to be heavy. Uh, and they recommend, mm. you know, the NVIDIA 340 graphics driver. Uh, so it's semi-recent and, you know, at least a Radeon 7X or greater card. I don't know. Well, Boy, I'm going to wait and see. I think we have to see it on a, on a, on a yeah. wider range of hardware. But it, it's at least a title that we can. I mean, it's a, now available for Linux. That's oh, it'll good. it'll get griefed as soon as the whole you know how they're doing it comes about. I'm sure. But I think it's going to come down more to uh, someone's you know whether or not that's a concern for them based on principles, or whether or not they're just concerned about whether or not a game is buggy or not. Yeah. Myself, I don't care if it runs on Cheetos. Right. As long as it runs, it runs. And who so. me points out, Eon has gotten better since uh, The Witcher Two release, and they have. Yeah. Uh, you know, here's one thing to consider is it is it is very easy uh, from a non-developer's perspective to sit back on the side and go, oh, well, it's using uh, some sort of uh, API translator. It must be inferior. But the reality is, is you and I, for most for most of us, we have no idea how game development works. They're 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 probably using several layers of, of, of abstraction already from the tools they're using to develop the game, right? I mean, all of this stuff is already pulled way away from the metal as it is. So we really don't know what we're talking about. It is is for all we know, uh, perhaps using well proven and laid out. Uh, development methods that they can then just easily wrap some uh, APIs around. Maybe that is a better way to go. Who knows? I don't. But I do know the game's now available, and uh, I was able to play it for about 20 minutes today before the show started, and I really enjoyed myself. For me, it was worth the price. But I would say if you're concerned, and I think maybe there's a, a reason to be based on previous games, why not wait a week or two? Uh, you know, you know the Linux Gamecast guys are going to review it at some point. See what they're going to say. Go read the reviews on Steam. Go check out Linux underscore Gaming on Reddit. There's already a thread going about how it's working for people and the kind of performance they're seeing. So go check out all of that. Uh, before we move off of this, uh, Daredevil, you had something you wanted to uh, add. Yeah, for me as a developer, that's precisely why I care if they're using a wrapper or not. Because I know that they, when they are not using a wrapper, they're actually saying that. Okay, Linux has the APIs required to make a good game ha happen. 
And Linux provides the capabilities needed for a developer. Now, yes, I understand that they're doing a, a port of an existing game, but still, it doesn't show appreciation or doesn't actually endorse Linux. It just well, says, we have a market on it. No, see, this game is fine. in that category of games that were developed many years ago. If you think about when that game came to market, how many years under development was it? So by the time it comes to market, they've already bet on a different type of technology platform. And it just, there's just no financial sense in reworking that for a platform that has a tiny market share. Uh, and so these wrappers make a lot of sense. But if you were to start a game today and, say, take advantage of something like the Unreal 4 uh, engine, well, then you're going to have a first-class Linux game. And uh, it's, so I don't really think it's so much of a statement on the state of Linux because you can do it today with a first-class game using the right tools. I think it's more of a statement on... Uh, like how much it's worth it. Uh, you, you know, if this platform was worth it for them, like you could see a company uh, like uh, uh, you could see some companies maybe going in and doing a complete rewrite to make it work for the iPad because they could make thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars an hour on the iPad. But you're not going to see that when they're going to sell, you know, maybe one to two to five percent of their overall uh, sales go to Linux. This is not worth a complete rewrite. What it really is is to sort of check off that box. And now you can say this title's available for the Steam OS platform. Sure, but then I, I think it's the way that you spread the message, right? It's yeah. Like now on Linux, like uh, that kind of is a little bit misleading, you know? And also, it's not that they couldn't have used these thing a while back as well, because if it was just quote unquote easy to make to use a shim to see and explore the waters of the platform. So they already had that thing because apparently they didn't create one new shim. They are just using some that already right. exist. Although Eon claims the shim is customized for each game. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. But, but you know if do you know if this actually came from the dev studio or is some like company like Ian coming up to the development studio and saying, let us be the guys who port it for you? Right, yes, exactly. Or shim it for you or whatever you want to call yes. it. And the original developers have nothing to do with the Linux version. Uh, well, which, they... which way is it? No, no, no. I mean, of course, they still have they the, the 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 original developers still have something to do with it. But yeah, a lot of times they contract it out to, not in this case, but in some cases, companies like Aspire and others that that, that handle that aspect of. Well, the I just remember how it was with uh, the original Torchlight, where the guy who was contracted to do it, he actually made like a full-fledged port where he ripped out the original game engine, whatever it was, and put Augur 3D instead in there. Mm -hmm. And it was buggy, and uh, Runic Games did not want to support it because it was a solid portion of it. It wasn't even their code. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like, this is... Porting games is a very, very complicated thing. And I think... Like you mentioned before, we just have to set our expectations to reflect whatever game developers think they can make by, uh, yeah. like, how much mind they can make by porting the games to Linux. I'm gonna and I'm gonna sit back and uh, and see what the reviews say. Uh, and Matt, you wrote an article this week. I was just kind of going to point people's uh, attention to because we've been getting a lot of questions into the show about VoIP solutions for Linux. So uh, kind of perfect timing. You had a state of VoIP and Linux right up over at Datamation. And uh, I love it because you, you touch on Skype, which, of course, is the go-to. You got Jitsi in here, which is uh, I've been playing more and more with. 
And, you know, you nailed Jitsi. It's like it's got its good and its bads in here. And, of course, the classic Ikijia. Uh, so it's a good write-up. Good timing. Oh, I appreciate that. And it's something that Noah and I have actually gone back and forth. When, when you guys were first kind of coming into uh, the changeover for uh, Linux Action Show, we were kind of looking at the different clients and fallback clients and things like that. And it's, and it's, it's not that cut and dry. It's like for, when it comes to video, yeah, yeah you're, you're looking at, you're looking at uh, WebRTC solutions. That's my opinion. I, I swear by them now. I've been playing with this one for a while. It's awesome. It's stupid easy. There's no configuration. Anything on Linux, I think it's going to be Skype or that. I don't yeah. think anything else is going to matter. Yeah. Going oh, forward. yeah. And you talk about it. Matt talks about his favorite in yep. the article and some of the key differences between it and yep. Skype. So uh, check it out. Yeah, and I agree. I've, I played with some for of those for the, the BSD Now show, and we really liked a couple of them. But all yeah. of them had a local preview of my camera that I couldn't turn off. That <laughs> oh, no. Right. over up somebody right. else's face the, the or something, which made that, it hard to use for production. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's the kind yeah, of stuff yeah. you don't even care about until you're doing it in production. Like, oh, wait, I can't right. have a preview video because that's in the shot. I can't have it in the shot. That's yeah. distracting. Yeah. Well, it was covering half <laughs> so of Chris's face when we were doing if, – if it was just me and Chris, it worked fine. But if we were trying to have a third right. person on for the interview, yeah. it would cover a quarter yeah. of Chris's face with yeah. a preview of my face. And people only need one of my face at a time. That's well, I don't know. Point. You can never have too much Alan face, but uh, I guess we just so have we to agree. We emailed one of the, the WebRTC platforms asking if they could make an option to hide that or turn it off or something for yeah. us. Yeah. I don't know. I think that would be very easy to do in Firefox Hello, uh, but um, unfortunately, Firefox Hello doesn't currently support conference calls, so it's just two people. I think you could do it in Jitsi Web, but I can't remember. Well, some of the options that I highlighted, you can actually do conference calls. You can do screen sharing uh, via extension, which worked out really really well. Chris put all the effort into getting all the screen sharing and stuff working in Firefox on (laughs) uh, PCBSD. So it's all ships by default working perfectly now so that we could also do tutorials that way. Yeah. Uh, But then my face covers up part of his face. Yeah, and I'm with you on that. That's a big, big not going to work in production at all. That's yeah. a big thing that needs to be resolved for sure. But, you know, the nice thing is, is there can be different uh, implementations of it. And you know sure. once it really gains traction, you know there's going to be one for podcasters and people. Like oh, yeah. So, well, that the, the, that's the thing is that it, the WebRTC is just so close to being perfect. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's one that's thing. It. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like everything open source. Yeah. Oh, but they'll get there. I think it will. I think a company yes, I like, think it will. Yeah, I think somebody will uh, close the gap. Um, and then, I, and then somebody should, you know, some some uh, pioneering podcast network should just make a product and just sell it. Call there you it. go. Well, if if what you're using is open source, it shouldn't be too hard to remove um, your face from being displayed at all. Like yeah. it should be just. Right. Yep. You should just have to delete like three lines of code and it should work. Oh, the other thing that was difficult is Firefox didn't want to use a different playback device. I can pick which camera yes. and microphone to use. It's got to be yeah. your default I couldn't system. force it. Yeah, and and for the podcast, I want that to be different. Yes, yeah, yeah. sometimes multiple audios. Yeah. All right. Our, uh, so we're going to get to an email that came in uh, that uh, w- that agrees with everything Wimpy had to say recently. So uh, we'll talk about that in uh, just a moment. Uh, but first, I should probably take a, just a, a, a moment here to thank our friends over at Ting. I, I have just so many good things to say about my Ting GSM service on the Nexus 5. Uh, it, I, I have gotten... Uh, so like uh like so excited like I, it, at simple things these days like i don't know what it is about it but like the combination of the pebble watch with the nexus 5 on lollipop uh, with uh, unlocked on the gsm network 
I feel like I have finally hit like the trifecta of amazing. And the great thing is, is not only do I have just amazing coverage here at the studio, but I'm on Wi-Fi, so it's not like a huge deal. But my drive now is just impeccable coverage, spotless coverage. So, yeah, I'm having a little fun. I'm downloading podcasts. I'm streaming stuff a little bit. But why not? It's like it's great coverage. And that's one of the things I love about Ting is because I'm just paying for what I use. So this month, if I want to have a little fun, I don't have to worry about going over on some plan. Uh, That's not how it works with Ting. You just pay for your usage. It's a flat $6 for the line. And then Ting just takes your minutes and your messages and your megabytes. They add them up and that's just what you pay. I've got three lines. I've got an iPhone 5, an HTC One, and a Nexus 5. Now, the Nexus 5 is my daily driver. And uh, I have it totally tricked out these days too, you guys. Uh, It is – so uh, I – I uh, I have like a I have a if this then that all set up on here so it's like tracking all my time. Uh, I've got automatic so I'm tracking all my car information and I'm logging my 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 miles for taxes, uh, and it's all powered by the Ting network. And so I always have connectivity. I'm always either on Wi-Fi or Ting GSM. I love the coverage, and I love too that if I need to go somewhere maybe they have better CDMA coverage, I could always switch my Nexus Five back because the Nexus Five can do either or. That is so slick. And right now, if you go over to Ting. Go to linux.ting.com. Go there. That'll support our show and give you a $25 off any device you want to buy from Ting or $25 service credit. Uh, Something you might want to consider picking up is the Ting GSM card. You go to linux.ting.com. They'll give you $25 of credit because this this GSM card is only $9. And this GSM card is you pop out what if you need a micro or a regular, whatever you need. There are all the different cutouts already there. And you pop it in your device. Uh, you Noah's got a couple of uh, phones he uses as uh, sort of like bat lines. Uh, my buddy Chase from Unfilter uses this for his home security system. You know you could put this on a module with a Raspberry Pi. I mean there's so many – $9 and you have a GSM card. And then it's $6 for the line and just your usage. So if it's something that's going to send an occasional report or something you check uh, remotely from your phone from time to time – uh, it is such an economical way to do that. Or, you know, $9 for the SIM card and then it's $6 for the line and you can turn it on and off too, by the way. So you don't always even have to be paying the $6. Uh, and throw it in. A, if, if you've got a tablet that has a GSM SIM slot, throw it in there. And then when you do need it, you just turn it on and you have data. So, or if you've got an old GSM phone. I mean, like you can take advantage of the CDMA network or the GSM network. It's really cool. And you can start it by going to linux.ting.com, $25 off that device or service credit. And go check out their uh, blog. They always got lots of good information. Like they just broke down like what all the different phone acronyms are for like the different codes like in the phone that you have to like give in when you're activating stuff. Uh, and they also have a savings calculator. So you can put your current usage in there and see how much you would save. Linux.ting.com. Go check them out. No whole customer service too. one 855 ftw And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Linux.ting.com. Thanks, you guys. Really appreciate the uh, – Really now, the long-term support of the Linux Unplugged show, they were one of the first sponsors because they really thought this show, the, you know, a community-focused show, was somewhere they wanted to be. And I really appreciate that vote of confidence. So linux.ting.com is a great way to support the show. Thanks, Ting. Okay, so we got an email into the show that wanted to touch on a point that Wimpy had made about virtual reality recently in the pre-show. Brian writes in, he says, episode 82 goes down as one of my favorite pre-shows ever. I love the debate between Wimpy and Popey. It was excellent. And I have to agree with Wimpy. During college in 92 and 93... I recall the same 15-pound headset and getting some belt on to move around. This time, it was a line art world and lob some weird projectiles at another player. Amazing for the time, but I definitely didn't see the push for 20 years later. To Popey's point, the world always moves to how do we get this in the hands of the average consumer, and that's where we're at now. Thanks for the laughs and memories. And, and to your point, Wimpy, you were essentially saying you think that uh, VR is just another fad again, right? Yeah. 
yeah, I think it is. And I think I've come to an agreement with reality. You know, I was oh, well, really? yeah, and I know, and I and I, I'm an Oculus SDK owner, and I and when I put it on, I felt like this is an amazing game changer, like life changing technology, and I believe that statement to be true. I just don't think we'll ever man- manage to reach match- mass adoption. Not the way our not the way our world works anymore. There's already there's already competing standards before a single headset's really even made it to the mainstream market, and now what's likely to make it to the market first in the fall is Samsung VR which is a watered-down version of Oculus VR because it has to only work on mobile, which makes it easier for the average person, but it means you're limited to mobile games and you don't get the super immersive experiences that you get with the desktop games. And that's just a fact. Uh, and that's going to be a watered-down experience, and it's not anything I'm all that interested in. I'm interested in the game changer, but I just don't see it. Three, four wires coming out of my head. i got to hook up HDMI. i got to hook up two USB things, and i got to hook up an infrared webcam. i got to have that position just right. i got to set up the mirroring just correct, and then i got to make sure I have the correct version of the game that supports the Oculus. Yeah. Now, I know they could make that easier, but it's a long way from being easy enough for the average consumer, and I just don't think it's going to make it. And that makes me super bummed because I think it could be amazing. I think there's all kinds of applications, teleconferencing, podcasting, gaming, uh, parenting, education. Oh, man, so many educational opportunities for VR. Um, so I hope they don't quit working on it. But, you know, Samsung said that by the end of the year, VR, they was going to have, you know, VR, they were going to blast the market with VR. And I, just, I don't think it's going to go anywhere by the end of the year. I think we'll be having the well, same discussion in, in, in 2016. That's just me, though. You know, I would like to see, I think probably, the, honestly, and this is going to sound terrible, but how cool would it be to have like, uh, uh, like to, to actually experience people's careers and things like that, or even driver's ed, um, although it probably with me, it'd yeah, like something like G- GTA, but whatever, you know, I mean, it would be interesting, I know, um, yeah. you know, what it's like to be a surgeon for a day, sure. you know, that be, that could be a little scary, but you know, think again, about, it could think be about, think about movies in virtual reality, the way you could present oh, movies, wow. right? That is screw VR. I mean, screw 3D. Oh, I want, it, I want yeah. a virtual reality movie. Uh, yeah, Daredevil, go ahead. You had a point to make. I was just thinking that perhaps it won't happen the way we're looking at just consumer products directly because actually there is the untapped professional market. Uh, so currently there are already extremely expensive simulators for uh, avionics or even, you know, trying cars and things like that. So I think those environments will get it first. And I could see and military will increase. Exactly. This will increase the um, production of these devices, which will significantly decrease the cost of production, which means that then it's accessible to the user market. So I, I have, think that's the most likely path. I have two comments. I think along with that, I think also high-end gaming because there you have a user base that's savvy enough to hook up HDMI and multiple USBs and understands the difference between USB 2 and 3 and video mirroring. So there, uh, there's – and that, then I think that bodes well for Valve and Steam Machines because, again, you know, Steam Machines are going to be much more accommodating to a VR headset than like a console will be. So if that does enter the market and it's something high-end gamers want – uh, Valve and Steam Machines will be uniquely positioned to take advantage of that. But this, but at the same time, I, I really worry deeply that it's all going to be proprietary and that open source and Linux will be the losers because so much of this stuff depends on um, – uh, take your pick. Um, incredible GPU compute power that demands proprietary drivers? Check that box. Uh, maybe a back-end cloud infrastructure that requires a subscription and uses a ton of proprietary software? Check that box. And in most cases, it's only really going to work very well on the Windows or Mac desktop, so check that box. So I'm a little concerned where we're going towards something here where that leaves Linux and open source. And I, Does anybody in the mumble room have any thoughts? So, uh, that's actually interesting. So uh, I think because of what I just mentioned, there is also the likelihood of bringing attraction back to the arcade places that you know you have these huge consoles. Uh, people used to gather in these places and just play games. 
But once you have the device in people's hands, I don't think it's like if if it's not open source by default, it will be. This is like a rule of nature almost. Yeah, I suppose Honestly, eventually. Yeah, eventually we'll <laughs> we make an open source version. <laughs> That's true. I shouldn't yeah. worry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping that happens with BitTorrent Sync too. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Let's do BitTorrent Sync. Let's make an open source clone. Let's do it, everybody. Oh, man. All right. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Uh, all good things. All good things. And uh, I continue to play with VR. Either way, I'll, I'll continue to play with it. I don't care if everybody else. I don't care if it gets wide adoption as long as I get to keep playing with it. Uh, I, have a, I have a make good I want to play before we jump into our next segment. Um, and uh, uh, I just uh, it was something I wanted to play a couple of weeks ago, but it was clipping at the time. And this is Nathan from Canonical. He's at the Ubuntu booth. And, of course, they talk about all kinds of things, but uh, Noah had a chance to ask him specifically about uh, challenging Android market share and iOS market share and then also getting some of our classic favorite Linux apps on a converged desktop. So uh, I'll play that, and uh, here we go. Yes. On, uh, on Ubuntu or Canonical's ability to leverage uh, market penetration in, in, in a very heavily populated iOS and Android world? Well, when Android came out, uh, I watched the, uh, I was interested, I watched the press release, mm-hmm. and uh, 15 minutes later when, when uh, the uh, uh, pre-orders opened, I bought one mm-hmm. and waited a month and got it. Yeah. And there were about 30 apps available for Android uh, when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And it was exciting because it was a Linux-based phone um, that right. promised to be one uh, one platform across many different model phones. Right. And so I think it lived up to that, but unfortunately, oh, yeah. uh, Google develops Android in secret, and they, they, they do a release, they throw the code over the wall, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's it, and you take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Ubuntu, even on the phone, is developed the exact same way Ubuntu is on the desktop, on the server, on the cloud. Uh-huh. Uh, it's all done in the open. You know, people criticize, well, this is looking rough, or that's not ready yet. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that, you know, Ubuntu cooked for three years before we even saw it. Whereas right. this was done in the open, starting from the desktop images. And actually, uh, Ubuntu on this phone is running 1504, or what will be 1504 in April. Mm-hmm. And it's the exact same system. But if I open the terminal, I have the GNU user space, I have everything there. Wow. So, okay. So when I want to develop an app for the phone, if I don't have a phone, or, if, you know, sometimes this can be tricky... I can develop it on my Ubuntu desktop or laptop. Uh, I run the app. It comes up in a window with the right interface. If I make the window bigger, that's a tablet interface. Uh-huh. Uh, I can also do a little work to make it work on the desktop if I want to. Okay. Uh, and that exact same code, I bring it to my phone. It's running the exact same code. I get the exact same experience. I can test it on the phone. I can package it. I can put it in the store. Um, I can run the same program everywhere. So the development that I'm doing for the phone mm-hmm. is identical to the de- uh, development process on my desktop, on my laptop, the same thing I'm doing on the server. Uh, I get the same development story everywhere with Ubuntu. Now, how about going the other way? So, for example, to the best of my knowledge, Thunderbird doesn't exist for Ubuntu Touch, right? Right. So, let's say I took the Ubuntu version of Thunderbird. Is there a way I can put that on the phone? It would take a little bit of work. So, we've done nothing to make that easy, okay. uh, but we've done nothing to restrict that. So, Oh, fair enough. So, for example, um, about a, three weeks ago, Will Cook posted a, a picture of uh, his uh, Ubuntu phone running LibreOffice, which I believe is probably the worst possible way to experience LibreOffice, yes. uh, but it was running under XMIR, because this is running uh, uh, Mirror and Unity 8, so it was running, you could see everything, you could, you could use it, you could tap, use a keyboard, um, so LibreOffice uh, is completely compatible with the phone, so the only thing LibreOffice has to do to make an Ubuntu app 
and they might want to do optimization, but the only thing they have to do is get a mobile interface. Okay. Everything else works perfectly. So uh, when the only thing... I'm going to pause right there now uh, because he has more to say, but uh, I don't want us to lose track. The only thing you have to do is make a mobile interface. Now that is sort of like the biggest but ever. That's kind of like a one more thing that is this huge announcement because if you think about all LibreOffice has to do is make a mobile interface, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a huge <laughs> challenge. That's the like the hardest thing possible for them probably. So yeah, that's that it doesn't make that doesn't mean it's necessarily easy, but he goes on to make the point that it's at least the same code base underneath. You have to do is take your your existing awesome Ubuntu app and and optimize that for uh, for mobile and the Ubuntu SDK makes it really easy to build a really beautiful, responsive interface that spans from a phone to tablet to desktop without extra work. Mm -hmm. Um, That really lowers the barrier of entry. So I think when developers begin developing for Ubuntu, uh, they're going to find that uh, it's as easy and pleasant to develop for the phone Mm -hmm. as it is on the desktop because it's all Ubuntu. It's all one code base. That's pretty cool. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, I, I keep watching on Google+. Plus. I see more and more apps uh, in Popey's feed all the time, which look really cool. And they're a little optimistic, though. I mean, really, it's kind of – it's a little nonchalant to say all they have to do is make a mobile interface. It does feel like the – I don't want to say the buck's being passed, but it does feel like it's being dismissed a touch, just a little. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah. I actually have tried developing yeah. for Ubuntu yeah. Touch. Yeah. And um, – I have to say, well, yeah, there is a fairly big challenge um, with creating interfaces for existing applications. If you create a new application with um, Ubuntu Touch in mind, or even Ubuntu in general in mind, and you use Ubuntu SDK for it, then moving between uh, desktop and tablets and phones becomes very right. easy because their right. SDK actually I, I was surprised how good of a job they did yeah. with uh, helping developers cre- create interfaces that scale automatically. I have that uh, by the way linked in the show notes uh, for today's episode although of course what did you just say? You just said it works great when you write in applications for Ubuntu right? I like applications written for Linux but that's cool. I mean I follow what you're saying. Um, and I'm uh, sure there is no uh, right, there's I could no run reason why I would not want right. to. Right, it would just look uh, like butt. It would just look like butt. But I could run them somewhere uh, else. No, yeah, you would. could. I would there's know... no reason why you wouldn't uh, be able to run it on other disk shows. Yeah, of course, it would just you look just like have an Ubuntu. To resolve that. Yeah, yeah. The same way, if you run a material design application from Android somewhere else, it looks like an Android app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, which is I do have to say yeah. that um, it, ultimately toolkits are adapting. Uh, if we look at the developments that are going to the toolkits, are also contemplating these new devices, these uh, uh, people's will to actually port things. And we also need to acknowledge that once you move uh, to a different platform, different device, not always you expect the same amount of functionality. Sure. Maybe you are just consuming, uh, and maybe LibreOffice won't be so much as redesigning the interface, but actually hiding more elements and not make them you know, accessible to the same context menu, for example, because that's not the experience you're expecting. And that type of change is not as hard as actually going and making an all overhaul of yes. the UI. I agree. If you go in with the right set of expectations, it's actually not, it's not so bad. 
Uh, and uh, Mike in the chat room is uh, linking us to a video, uh, in, which, uh, which I'll try to remember to put in the show notes, of uh, LibreOffice running on Ubuntu Touch. I'm just waiting for him to launch it, right? Yeah, so there's Google Maps. Okay, yeah, we see that. I want to see LibreOffice, though. There he goes. He's launching LibreOffice. So you can see if you have a tablet, it just runs in like a, a XMIR window, and it's usable. Right. So, I mean, it, you, of course, you would want to have a mouse and keyboard, but, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I would prefer to have the option of carrying a mouse and keyboard, like a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard, with me in my bag and, and be able to run LibreOffice when I need it. Like, I, I, for me, I like that. I don't mind that it's even actual LibreOffice because I don't, like, I know if I'm going to launch LibreOffice, I know what to expect and I'm going to bring a mouse and keyboard with me. So for me, I think it's good. I'm just saying brand users, they're going to look at that and they'll, they mean, everybody ridiculed Microsoft. Everybody ridiculed Microsoft when people got the Windows RT tablets and you dropped down to the classic shell. Ridiculed them for it. Uh, even though I kind of think it could be handy if you have the right set of uh, tools. So there you go. Uh, yeah, it's a little update, and uh, it's an interesting discussion, and uh, who knows. I also wanted to mention uh, Linux Fest Northwest. I know I'm, I'm, I'm getting obnoxious, but it's the end of April, 25th and the 26th. We're going to try to have as much of the crew there as possible and have multiple shows going on and uh, go around and say hi to people. Uh, I got a little details uh, this last uh, Friday from the crew. There's going to be a new after party at a new location, Matt. Oh, really? Okay. Cool. A three-story hotel, as a matter of fact, I believe. Or wow. no, not, not a hotel, a, a museum. Sorry. And uh, so it should be quite a hell of a show. And then Friday night, if for people that fly in early, Fedora is sponsoring a board game night up in Bellingham. So if you're getting in Friday night, uh, the night before the fest officially starts, uh, there will be a Fedora-sponsored board game, um, I believe, at the Hampton. But you'll have to double-check on that. I'll, have, I'll, I'll know soon. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so, so you said a museum. Is that correct? Did that, I believe it is oh. a museum, and I forgot what yeah, – I forget which one. Because I'm racking my brain. I think I, – I think when you said three stores, it's one that like, popped into my head instantly. I'm wondering yeah. if it's that one. But, and it's cool okay, because cool. – uh, check this out. If you go over to linuxfestnorthwest.org and you go s- scroll down to the best sponsors section. So you got gold sponsors. Yeah, I'm sure gold sponsors are pretty important. I wouldn't know. Yeah. I don't care about gold sponsors. Uh, hold on, this, my touch thing's gone crazy, Matt. My touch thing's gone crazy. But when you Uh-oh. go down here, look here. Oh, media, Jupiter Broadcasting. Boom, right there. Oh, there it is. Friday night is Fedora. Saturday night, that party at the museum is actually being uh, paid for by Microsoft. How about that? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I'm still re- I'm still reeling from last year because they were downright civil. Actually, it was just kind of like okay. You know how expensive lanyards are? It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Uh, anyways. We're going to have lanyards at Linux Fest Northwest to give out. It's going to be pretty cool. Uh, so if you're going to make it, uh, there is a hotel up in Bellingham, Washington, that you'll probably want to stay at. Uh, they're they're going to have a special Linux Fest Northwest deal. And it's I think it's, if it's not attached to the hotel, it's close to the hotel. And the best part is there's going to be a free shuttle between the hotel and the Linux Fest Northwest uh, campus. So you'll want to stay at the Hampton Inn. That's where they'll have the free shuttle. And uh, that, I believe Hampton Inn might even be at the Bellingham Airport if you can just fly in right there. And then you don't have to worry about transportation, and you can also call them and take advantage of the Linux Fest Northwest special. It's the so Hampton Inn. It's not at the airport, but it is a short drive from the airport, and they will pick you up from the airport if you call them. Perfect. Thank nice. you, Blaster. Thank you. Is that where you stayed last year? Yes, it is. It's where I'm staying this year. Yeah, that's, that's the one Very that cool. the Fest guys uh, also recommend you stay at, so... You got it Very dialed cool. in over there, Blaster. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that info. And I'd love to see anybody in the audience there. We should be a great show. And if you can't make it, we are intending to live stream the hell out of it. So we'll probably be live Saturday and Sunday um, from there. So you could check it out. I think it should be an honest. It's one of the best. I think it's one of the best shows in the U.S. if you can make it. All right. Before we get to uh, our, our next topic, which possibly promises to be the perfect Linux laptop 
but Chris is a little skeptical, I want to tell you about our next sponsor, and that's DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to making my data center real- dreams come true. No, I, I kid. No, they're really dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Now, they are my data center, and it's easy. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer why. I can get started in less than 55 seconds, and you can too. And pricing plans start at only $5 a month. That'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte a terabyte, a freaking terabyte, a terabyte of transfer, terabyte. terabyte. Like, listen, if you don't have a huge podcast, just go stick it up on a DigitalOcean droplet. It's cheaper than anything else for five dollars. I mean, I don't. I, I seriously, starting out, if I could have done that, it'd have been great. Uh, these days, though, these days, scale engines the way for me. Uh, I, could, I tell you what, but I, it, when I started out, I, I think I would have probably had my website on one droplet, my MP3 files on another droplet. And like my, my forms on, I mean, why not? At five dollars, you could you honestly you could load them all up on one droplet. But I, I, from a security standpoint and a maintenance standpoint, and and the value is just so insane that I just I'll just spin up multiple droplets. So uh, for me, I've got droplets dedicated to specific, specific functionalities. Now some of them do a, a bunch of other extra things too. They're not one job. But uh, looking back now at how I've built infrastructures in the past, I've sort of been revising them in my head, like kind of daydreaming. If I was going to do that again, how would I do it on DigitalOcean? And I think podcast hosting is one of the first things I would I would do on DigitalOcean. Of course, there's so many other things too. And of course, they have one-click installations for things like WordPress or uh, Drupal or Ruby on Rails or GitLab too. And they have data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. It's really, though, their interface. It's so great. They have a really intuitive control panel. And power users can replicate it on a larger scale with the company's straightforward API. And it really is handy because there's a bunch of great apps you can take advantage of. Or if you're a little savvy yourself and you don't have to be all that savvy, you can just put something together pretty quickly. Um, but there's a lot of like a, there's, there's, there's desktop apps, there's mobile apps, there's things to snap it in with existing projects, uh, modules for, for programming languages. I mean, it's, it's really well done. And then to, to sort of round it all off, they have a great, great set of always improving tutorials. They've also recently launched free BSD support. That's pretty cool too. So here's how you can get started. You can get a $10 credit over at DigitalOcean. This is key because they've got a lot of great things you can try like CoreOS or the one-click deployments or you know, try out their snapshot system, which is really nice. I really like the way their snapshots work. Try it out. You can try it all out and you'll get a $10 credit when you use our promo code DOUnplugged. DOUnplugged, all one word, lowercase. Just apply that to your account and then just try the $5 rig two months for free. Get your own Linux rig, root access, you get HTML5 console. And if you've played around with VMs and you know, you've never really gone off and set off your own offsite backup server or something like that, just do it this route. This is so much better and it's so fast and the value is incredible. You'll really have a good time. DigitalOcean.com, promo code DO unplugged. Man, I'm a bit of a hardware head. I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty solid on laptops right now. I've got the Librem coming eventually, and I got the XPS 13 because I think that's I think if you're gonna get a a, a non system 76 laptop, like if you want sort of like the MacBook Air kind of competitor with the super high resolution like 4K screen, uh, I think the XPS 13 is a serious contender, and I think a lot of people will be looking at it to load Linux. That's why I picked it up so I could try it out. And Dell has since then released another workstation. Uh, they call it part of their Sputnik project. It's the M3800 Developer Edition, uh, and it's kind of like a MacBook Pro competitor. And uh, I think Ars mm. Technica has the uh, review to read on this. They really have a great write-up, and uh, they talk about some of the issues that I've ran into. So I wanted to commiserate a little bit about my continued search for like my quote-unquote perfect Linux laptop, and then I kind of wanted to take some opinions from you guys too. But first, let's, let's yeah. start on a little bit of the review here. Uh, so... To begin with, uh, the price, about $1,500 at base, 
the one they tested at ours, uh, a little over $2,000. And again, it's the M3800. Ships with Ubuntu 1404. Uh, it has a high-quality build, no squeaks, no rattles, 16 gigabytes of RAM. Uh, he got it with a 256-gigabyte SSD and i7 CPU. Um, display is bright, beautiful. Uh, Thunderbolt port on it, though. Doesn't really work well with Ubuntu except for video. I ran into that same issue. Uh, applications are not really ready for high DPI like Chrome. It's just And it ships with Chrome oh, as yeah. default. Just does not look good in high DPI. That is a continued problem I have too. Uh, Opera, much better. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it has a few other things like uh, battery life when the NVIDIA uh, GPU is, is devastating. Dell, when I got my XPS 13, Dell quoted me 15 hours of battery life. And I've even heard some podcasters going, well, look at Dell's new laptops with 15 hours. Yeah, BS. I'm getting seven hours, eight hours tops. Perfectly fine. I don't really mind, but it's no 15 hours. So I wasn't surprised that he dinged that for the review. Uh, but I was looking at this thing. It's big. It's 15 inches. And I'm trying to think to myself, what makes the perfect Linux laptop? And this is something I've searched for and searched for and searched for. Colonel Linux, I, I know I don't know if you're still in. Did you leave? Because I know he's yeah. Because he's just recently got a new laptop too, but he 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 vacated. Uh, and as something that I when I searched for, I'm pretty happy with the X, uh, XPS 13. But the biggest downside for me is Linux's high DPI support is still pretty sucky. Unfortunately, hmm. yeah. Matt, what, for you, are you a laptop guy at all? Uh, I, yeah, I had one. It, it, long since left the building. But for me, it was basically a matter of I don't like the glossy screen. I want it to be you know matted. That's just for my own eyes. Um, does it manage to uh, handle a, a wireless end connection? Cool. Uh, is the battery life at minimum of three hours, preferably more? If it is, great. Um, that's and then of course is the keyboard not spongy. That's mm-hmm. another thing. I, yeah, good, I can't stand that. Sp- right. You know. Yeah. Um, and then touchpad right. sensitivity. Can I? What are my options as far as disabling it? I know a couple of hacks that I can use to disable a touchpad while typing. But a lot of times you can actually get a uh, touchpad that will work correctly when you set it to turn off. So. Mm-hmm. I noticed just, too that uh, Dell. Uh, so the XPS thirteen I got came with a Broadcom Dell proprietary Linux not very happy loving kind of wireless yeah. driver or wireless card and i swapped it out with an intel 7 7000 series which is uh, ex- the same one they ship yeah the ac7260 which is the same one that dell's put in uh, this laptop so i would imagine that would avoid the out of the box wireless issue issue mm-hmm. which was my primary issue when i tried my xps13 is my wireless didn't work out of the box i don't think this is a particularly good looking laptop either unfortunately i think dell kind of has a bit of a miss here i think the xps13 is a lot more competitive uh, than 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 this but you know, could be. It really could be. Look at that. It, and it has, still has the window sticker on the bottom, Matt. Well, I mean, I go back to, I mean, actually, years before I even was a part of uh, Jupiter Broadcasting, years ago, when I first came to System76, what brought me to it was after a interesting Dell experience and dating back to when I went to bought the, actually bought the laptop from them, which they promptly lost. But when I bought the laptop from them, they were still recommending Office and various Windows yeah, software you, yeah. after I designated. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just like – yeah. What? I've seen that too. I mean, really? It's like, I mean, come on, guys. So, yeah. you know, for me, it's just like, eh. You know, they could, they could come out with the coolest thing in the world. Honestly, I, I, I've been burned by them so badly. I don't know. I, I'd have a real hard time with it. I, uh, Wimpy, I'm curious uh, what makes your perfect Linux laptop? What is it for you that makes a good machine that f- specifically to run Linux? Uh, well, there's a couple of things. Um, I like lightweight so not not very big, and I like a proper keyboard. So um, uh, and I've got a penchant for the old um, track point nipple. Right. Yeah. So, the, uh, the classic thing. Mostly, pad nipple. 
Yeah, so mostly I buy um, relatively old second-hand ThinkPads. So my newest computer to me is a ThinkPad X201, which I think is about five years old. Uh, and that's quite good for me because it's an i5 and everything. And um, battery life is important too. And yes. the ThinkPads are good sure. in that regard. Sure. And if you pair pair your Linux machine with um, TLP, um, you can you can probably get you don't, in some uh, cases. Go on. Well, so what you're telling me is essentially uh, uh, what makes the perfect Linux laptop is a Lenovo. But what do you do if, say, Lenovo starts making you unhappy? Where do you go? Like, do you, are all your eggs in one basket? Uh, well, uh, they, they've suited me so far. But no, I mean, companies like System76 would be where I would have to go for a new machine. Um, the problem is, is that I can't afford the, you know, the upfront price for a new machine from those companies. So if I needed a new computer, I'd have to save for some considerable time before I could afford one. But, you know, there are places yeah. I could go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so the screenshot I'm showing here from Ars Technica kind of shows you how the web w- renders on the Chromium browser on a high DPI display. It's tiny. It looks good. And Unity itself does a good job of scaling up. And uh, other GTK applications will do a good job of scaling up. But, yeah, it's kind of hit and miss. I, I feel I feel like if I was – if somebody came to me and said, I don't have a lot of money to spend, uh, but I really want a high-resolution display, I would say at this point, if you're tight on money, don't get a 4K display because – I mean, a lot of stuff looks fine, but a lot of stuff doesn't look fine. And if you are powering that with an Intel GPU, there are times it will work harder than you want it to. If you have a dedicated NVIDIA graphics like this thing does, it's not so bad. Uh, but then, like they, but they notice when they turn that uh, NVIDIA GPU on, battery life goes in half. Half! So that's oh, I believe it. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised by that at all. But, you know, at the same time, it's like it, when it comes to laptops or even desktops to a certain extent, if you're someone that needs that, you know, needs that, uh, you know, kind of quality, that's got to be a larger consideration in your overall experience. But I think for Joe Average, honestly, I think a decent keyboard, a decent battery and a, and a display that is reasonably good and, of course, not being not weighing a ton. Yeah. I think that's really what it comes down for yeah. most people. I am uh, waiting. Uh, I, I am waiting to hear. Uh Updates on the uh, the uh, Purism uh, Librem fifteen. Uh, I, we now okay. have the uh, the boot screen. I guess that's going to be the boot uh, the boot screen right there. There's just this nice white Purism uh, logo. Uh, so I, the, you know it reached its funding, and they're still posting updates about the project. And I think uh, right. Noah's been checking in, checking in with them from time to time as well. So uh, it looks like when that ships, it's going to have an i seven uh, in June. The one will ship in April. One will ship in June. And it's going to be a pretty nice rig, so hopefully we'll see. I don't know if it's going to be the perfect Linux laptop, but the quest to find the perfect Linux laptop, in my opinion, continues on. So there's actually one thing that I don't know. I real I noticed that in the text on their campaign mentions an integrated uh, Intel uh, card, video card. Mm. In the video, they talk about the NVIDIA one. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on with that. You're um, talking about the Libram? Yes, the periods, yeah. Yeah, it's going to have both, yeah. It's going to have both because it's like in, in the text it only says the an Intel one. Right. I think I think they in our interview, the I think in our interview with him, he said it would have both, if I recall correctly. Because I I tried to clarify that point, if I recall. Okay. Yeah. I would have to go re-listen <laughs> to remember. Because it, it does look it, it does look weird because for me I was like I was rechecking it and then the text only mentions one of the cards, and then in the video mentions the Nvidia. It feels a little bit sketchy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah. Uh, if somebody was, if you if you want to, if you wanted to, you could check. You could. I think it is in that interview. Uh, yeah. All right. I'll rewatch it. I, I'm I'm looking forward to. It. I hope mine's in the April batch, even if it even if it doesn't mean because I really want to give it a review and and uh, I don't know. I still feel like the quest continues on. The quest continues just like the quest continues on to always better yourself, doesn't it? And that's why our next sponsor is so perfect. That's Linux Academy. Go over to linuxacademy.com/slash/linux. Right? I believe that is our URL. No, I'm sorry, it's unplugged. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. You'd think I would know. Uh, the reason why I was a little distracted is I have the coolest note here that I wanted to read uh, from uh, a uh, Linux Unplugged audience member who heard about Linux Academy. So get started. Keep this in mind. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to get started. You'll get our special 33% discount, which is really awesome. Uh, and Linux Academy is a great resource for you to learn more about the systems you're probably going to end up having to use, administer, be responsible for, or want to someday. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go get started over there. I got an email in from Mike. He says, I just want to say thanks to the whole Jupiter Broadcasting community. I wouldn't have known about Linux Academy if it wasn't for you guys. I was able to get my Linux Plus certification and land my dream job as a Linux administrator for a hosting company. I went over to Linux Academy forums to thank them too and made sure they heard about it from you guys. They knew it was from you guys. Thanks again, Mike. And I get stories like that all the time. Linux Academy is set up by people who truly care about this stuff and really know the subject material. And so they devoted their entire site to it. They hyper-focus in on this area, and so that way they super-serve you. You know why that makes a difference. If you're a Linux enthusiast, you know how much it makes a difference when the people behind it care and use Linux and open source. They have step-by-step video courses, downloadable comprehensive study guides, and it's never been a better time to join Linux Academy because they have a huge announcement coming very soon. On April 16th, they're going to have a live show at 9 p.m. Central Time where they're going to make some of their biggest content announcements ever over there. You're going to want to go check that out. Also, they've got some great news if you're going in for one of the LPI, like the LPI C1 exam or Linux Plus. Uh, they are now CompTIA-approved quality content, which means you can go take the, uh, the study lessons from Linux Academy and then just go get your certification. Right? And you can do this from the comfort of your own home. And what's really nice about that is Linux Academy will just let like, you get all that material offline. You can listen to the courseware like when you're commuting, you can set how much availability you have, and it'll automatically create courseware for you that matches that. You can get step-by-step. Step, uh, this is where you're at percentage-wise. So you can see I have this much time for this area, and then it's going to take me this long to move on to here, and you can do quizzes to check yourself. And the uh, seven-plus Linux distributions you get to choose from, and the courseware all matches that, and so does the virtual labs they spin up automatically. It's, it's just such a cool system, and uh, they're, they're, you're really going to be impressed with the stuff they announced on the 16th. So go to linuxacademy.com slash unplug. Get our special 33% discount and go check them out. It's a great time. You're really going to, and, and I love that you're going to get that 33 percent discount right now when they when they're just about to make the service even better. It's just such a cool opportunity. LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplug. So something really nerdy happened this week, and uh, uh, too bad uh, Alan Alan missed his opportunity to uh, to bash ButterFS and uh, and uh, <laughs> sing the praises of ZFS. Ah, shame. Too bad he had to leave early. Well, uh, there was actually a pretty big developers conference going on, talking about the future of Linux storage. Oh, I know, so exciting, right? Ah, uh, well, turns out maybe things are going to look up for good old ButterFS. Uh, so let's dive in right into that because I think that's the piece that's the most relevant to our audience because we all want to see ButterFS succeed, but we all know it's got a little bit of room. So Chris Mason, uh, he's a he's a Facebook software engineer. We've talked about him before. He's one of the ButterFS maintainers. He explained how Facebook uses ButterFS. Uh, ButterFS has many advantages of file systems, such as the ability to handle both numerous small files and single files as large as six exabytes. 
a baked-in RAID, built-in file system compression, and integrated multi-storage device support. Facebook, of course, runs on Linux. Mm. To be exact, Facebook runs the 3.10 and 3.18 Linux kernels on an internal distribution, which is based on CentOS. For Facebook, the real win is that ButterFS is stable and fast under an endless input-output operation per second, you know, IOPS, pounding from Facebook's constantly updating users. That's good news. The bad news is ButterFS is still way too slow for, for, for traditional databases such as MySQL. For those systems, Facebook is still using XFS, which I thought that was kind of interesting. To coordinate the two file systems, Facebook uses Gluster, the open-source distributed file system. This is all kind of some good details we're getting here. Facebook, which works hand-in-glove with upstream ButterFS Linux kernel kernel developers, is working on improving ButterFS's database speed. Kind of neat. That is interesting. It's like it's one of those things where, you know, I think a lot of people go to these social sites and they just see everything... Well, if it's Facebook, you know, whether it works or not, it's kind of hit and miss. But most social sites work pretty well for the most part. And it's interesting to see what they're choosing and, you know, how that's going forward and where ButterFS fits into the whole thing. Um, it's yeah. going to be fascinating to see where things go two, three years from now. It gives me uh, – I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of Facebook. But uh, I'm kind of glad that they have a bit of their horse hitched to that wagon. Is that the right? Am I using that right? Because I, th- I think so. But I would definitely I mean. agree that it's not like uh, attending uh, the Federation Council or something when you go to Facebook. It's pretty. Uh, yeah. The culture is definitely a little different. So. But I, the fact that so the way Facebook is approaching this is they seem to have identified ButterFS as a critical piece of Linux technology. So they hire one of the guys that works on it, and that's his job, and he interfaces directly with the Linux kernel team. And it's a pretty ideal situation. So it seems like it's pretty important to them. And in that case, that means ButterFS probably has a pretty good shot of having long-term funding and longevity of development behind it, which I think is pretty important. I think it's extremely important. Yeah. Derek Devlin, you had a point about uh, their upstream giveback? Yeah, they, they've actually been very keen on trying to get things uh, to the open source community back like as fast as possible. I can give you the example of HHVM and their programming language. Right, right. They actually went immediately to the Debian folks and opened a, a, an ITP which is intended to package uh, requests. And they've been working directly with Debian maintainers to get that across and spread through there. It's like they are doing an effort. And most of the times I see uh, an actual, you know, just not put the project out and not maintain it, they actually continuously support the project and do an effort to make it land to the community back as soon as possible. So I, I, I think that's a good part of that. I, that is really cool to hear, actually. Uh, that's good to know. Uh, before we wrap up, has anybody else noticed all the attention the Ubuntu Mate project gets these days? Have oh, you guys, yeah. Like, uh, so yes. Have you been noticing this? Like, uh, uh, so what did... Oh, uh, so Wimpy makes a video about uh, including Tilda or something like that. Wimpy announces that Ubuntu Mate 15.04 will, will have Tilda, a very nice drop-down menu. And Wimpy made a very great video that sort of explains the rationale of how he came to use it and why, uh, which maybe we get him to repeat here in just a sec. Uh, but next thing I know, I'm seeing it on three or four or five Linux news websites. Uh, Wimpy, uh, you have a bit of a sensation on your hands here. Yeah, how did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's great. So uh, tell yeah. us about Tilda. Yeah, everyone's everyone's really keen on such a simple. Yeah, fish. I, I was very surprised by it. So, uh, and I've you know what, I've 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 heard you mention it before, but uh, I liked your rationale and how you came to use it and why it's sticking in the distro. 
Yeah, so when I was working on the Compiz integration um, and I kept breaking Compiz, you're left without window decorators, so you're kind of stuffed. Yeah. So I installed Tilda as my get-out-of-jail-free card. In case so everything every time breaks. I broke, yeah, every time I broke Compiz, I could just F12, um, reset Compiz, start Marco, and get my session back up and running again. Yeah. So whilst I was devving Compiz, that was my safety net. And, and I got so accustomed to using it, I started using it for other things. And I thought, you know what, this is actually kind of useful. So I'm going to leave it in. Sure. And that's how it how it came to be in the in the distro. And so why tilde over say like uh, Quake? Because that's Quake's always what I use. Yeah. Well, I, I tried both, but til, tilde runs in about five megs of RAM, and Quake runs in about twenty five to thirty megs of RAM. Oh. So if I want something that I'm leaving in that's turned on by default, I don't want it to be too large because most well I say most there's a good number of people running Ubuntu Mate on resource constrained hardware so I didn't want to bloat it out unnecessarily of course course. they really appreciate that I'm sure you know I think what it is um, is and this is what I have ragged on Canonical for for taking a little focus off the desktop for for the last couple of years is what I I believe and what you're doing with Ubuntu Mate may be proving this out is the Ubuntu desktop got really close, really close to the goal line. And what you're doing by like adding things like sensible um, um, uh, compass integration, uh, the tilted integration, but also like uh, the folder color stuff, just these these little uh, – it's not the final 10 percent. That's not the right way to put it. But these closing the gaps that adds these little things like when when I saw you and start, started including folder color, I thought, you know what? I, I should probably install folder color. I, I want folder color. Like that sounds like something I would. I, just a nice little visual indicator. And it's these little things that you're just sort of polishing off and adding a little bit here and there to this traditional desktop paradigm. And I think people are recognizing that. Plus, let's be honest, uh, Ubuntu 14.04 and Ubuntu 14.10 are, are decent platforms for people to distribute applications on. So some excitement there and you guys are you guys are polishing off these little edges here and adding these nice little touches i think that's why people are getting excited about it well thank you very much and whilst you've mentioned folder color the developer of folder color has been working on a new version which now supports the numix uh, icon themes and uh, also has a facility where if you want to change the default color for all of your icons, so effectively theme your icons, you can now do that as well. So uh, whether or not that lands for 15.04, we'll have to see. There's a feature freeze exception filed for that. <laughs> hopefully that'll, that'll make it in time. If not, it'll be in 15.10. Cool, and you know I'm gonna uh, 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 something I've been following is the uh, I know you have a lot of you have a lot of places you distribute info. Maybe this isn't even the best one, but one I've been following is the uh, Google Plus community. So I'll put a link to that. It's, in the show notes. it's yeah, ev- everything somehow makes it to the Google Plus. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's probably the best place to follow. Uh, and if not there, then the the actual Ubuntu Mate community, where there's some deeper discussion uh, with some of the community members. That if you want to get the skinny on the Raspberry Pi development, the Raspberry Pi two development, and the Odroid C one development, that's all happening in the uh. Ubuntu Mate community. Very good. And uh, you know what? I actually had an email in about that. So thank you. So that's a good place to go to. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've been running uh, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, version, uh, version of Ubuntu Mate based on uh, 1404 here as my, uh, uh, my Skype and um, Mumble Machine now for weeks. And it's just been rock solid. So I love it. I think it's a great, I think it's a great distro. 
Well, it's been, it, you know, I'll tell you, it's been, I, I, the more I use it, the more, the more I become married to it. Um, <laughs> I just, I just, it's, it's because I'm finding that I'm not having to screw with the stuff I was having to screw with before. With yeah, other you're just using the computer now. Yeah, I, crazy thought, right? I could actually get my work done. Um, and, uh, you know, like what he mentioned with Tilda, I actually installed it after he mentioned yeah, it the first time yeah. before I even, and I was just like, oh, this is sweet. Well, I, I, got those, yeah. Yeah, I got a low resource machine. This is fantastic. Yeah, so. yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Um, all right. Well, so we'll uh, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, uh, and uh, I have so much more I could talk about in regards to watches. I feel like I could talk about uh, <laughs> uh, watches for some reason for like a whole episode, but I'm saving all of you that the burden of having to listen to me go on and on about my Pebble Watch. However, I will mention <laughs> I installed uh, I installed uh, a couple of really cool uh, apps. If you've got a Pebble Watch, uh, go get the um, let's see where is it. And 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 I assume you also have uh, Lollipop on eleven. Will sync your steps to Google Fit, so you can track your uh, Fit stuff with Google from your Pebble. And uh, also, uh, uh, there's a really great uh, sleep app called uh, I think it's just called Android Sleep, uh, uh, something like that that works with the Pebble to track your sleep. There's a really, just, I'm having a lot of fun with the Pebble, Matt. I'm just gonna I'll just leave very, it very cool. I'll just leave it at that. I won't bore everybody else to tears <laughs> with all the details. I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, hey, hey watches are watches are cool. I used to have one with a calculator on it. Hey, it's the new thing. me a little bit, but that's okay. No, it's the new thing. It's it's, <laughs> it's it's back. The new thing is the old thing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt. I, wouldn't it be nice if we had everybody join us next week? Now, I know daylight savings has been a bit of an issue, but we do the unplug show on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, and you can go over to JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/calendar to get that converted to your local time zone. You go to JBLive.tv. We've got the chat room embedded. You can join our open mumble room. We just check your mic, and you can comment on the stories. Uh, so we really would love to have you join us. Hey, Matt, have a great week, and I'll talk to you next Tuesday, okay? All right. See you then. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. See you right back here next week. I'm glad Daylight Savings worked out for you, Humi. You're the one audience member, I think, that hasn't been messed up by it. Yeah, Sleep as Android. Thank you, Micro89. That's the app. It's really cool because Sleep as Android, uh, if you have any sleep issues, it's really a good troubleshooting to, uh, application because it uh, has it, it uses the accelerometer in the Nexus. It uses the microphone to monitor noise in the room. And then it uses the accelerometer in the Pebble to detect any movement. And it combines all of that data together. And then, like, so if I move... And my pebble tracks that. It will then at the same time correlate that to any room noise and it'll show a waveform spike of any noise in the room so I can like listen to somebody ripping ass or snoring or whatever it is. Uh, and then it'll also give me my total time of, uh, of REM sleep. And uh, that is extremely useful for me because that's what I'm troubleshooting right now. Because I go to bed at a decent time, but I wake up. If I wake up, if I go to bed, say, at 1030 and I wake up at midnight versus I wake up at, say, Five in the morning, I feel exactly the same either way. It feels like I got the same amount of sleep. So I know there's something that's not right there. So I'm trying to troubleshoot like how much sleep I'm actually getting at night, like how much good sleep. And uh, that, according to uh, the Pebble, is uh, is uh, last night I actually got two hours of sleep. Chris, I've got a little tip for you. Oh, okay. Because I got bitten in the ass by it this morning. All right. Um, it's sync, th- uh, not sync thing, um, bit, bit sync again. So I... 
went round and updated a couple of my boxes this morning, and BitSync 1.4 got replaced with BitSync 2.0. It is up. I was I was wondering if they were going to replace it. Okay, right. Well, I don't know what OS you're running on, but in the in the AUR, yeah. there's a BTSync 1.4 package, okay. and the guy that makes the Ubuntu packages. In his Debian repository, he's got a repository that is specifically pinned to the 1.4 version. And so, so it I've begins. gone round and so now I've, there's essentially I've, a 1.4. Yeah, so I yeah. so I have to go uninstall BitTorrent Sync and, uh, well, and install this 1.4 mm, version. Uh, have you upgraded to two yet? No, no. So on the machines I that think. I hadn't upgraded to two, I just installed the 1.4 version. You know and that's fine. It just you know replaces the one point four okay. version okay. that I'm already running. So I uh, but, I just did an upgrade but, last night. Do, uh, do you think it might have pulled? I have to check. I don't know. Yeah. So there is a guide on the btsync two dot help center. There is a guide on how to roll back to one point four, uh, and you are you are going to want to do this oh. because btsync two dot is not. 1.4 out of beta it's a completely different product and it works in a completely different way and it will not suit your use case of handing out a key that multiple people can then snag it's all designed about these are my devices in my network and i want to link them together and with the btsync 2.0 package there's no way to create what they now call a classic share where you say you know make me some keys you can only now create these device linked shares in the 2.0 system oh no what am i gonna do uh do what i did (laughs) you you can roll back um, it's fairly straightforward to roll back to 1.4. Yeah, but uh, what are you going to do about security fixes and uh, future? Yeah, well, this is it. I, I, this is my holding position until I get C file up and running. Uh, and how is C file uh, at, at, at distributing to large audiences files? You can you can share links via its web thing, but I haven't actually got around to mm-hmm. testing that, so mm-hmm. I can't say how well it will suit your use case. Screwed. <laughs> Damn. So basically, I, if, so I should. Downgrade back to BitTorrent Sync 1.4, huh? Well, it depends. I mean, I, I'm going to because the way I'm using the product, it, it, I, I could probably go to 2.0, but I was really wary of the fact that I didn't realize that it worked in a different way. And suddenly the two instances that I'd upgraded were no longer connected to one another. Um, the old classic shares were still syncing. But in terms of how new shares would work, that was they weren't linked together. So I've rolled back so I can test btsync 2.0 in, you know, in its own installation in a VM somewhere just to see how it works and figure it all out before I either stick with it and pay my money and upgrade or move to something else. And quite possibly I'm going to move to C file. This is... But Super unfortunate because I'll give you another use case. Um, people have asked for a complete, as we have it, complete archive of the Linux Action Show. And there's not one spot you can go and get everything from episode one to episode 356 or whatever we're at. Uh, and part of that is because where do you store all that? All that, But part of it is it's a lot of transfer, et cetera, et cetera. And what we, one of the things we used BitTorrent Sync for was we started working on a collaborative effort where everybody went into their 
some people have personal archives where we have gaps missing. And we started all collaborating in one BitTorrent sync folder, and I just gave them out the key on the subreddit. Yeah. I can't do anything like that with any other file services. No, and so uh, so my advice is roll back to 1.4 as your holding position so so you retain the your existing, you know, behavior. Go and test 2.0 in its own VM that isn't linked in any way with your existing BT sync devices and see if it's going to continue to work for you. If you are running BT sync 2.0 Say I'm one of your subscribers. <clears throat> if I'm running BT Sync 2.0, I can paste classic share keys okay. in, okay. but you can't create them. Okay. Yeah, because uh, you know that's the other thing is I can't prevent the audience from upgrading. No, no. Yeah, well, this is screwed. This is so screwed. And like, yeah, and, um, I, and I can't do like a tr- like the other thing I was thinking is like there are like uh, there are software packages out there that will automatically create like. Uh, like torrent feeds and uh, you know uh, all that kind of stuff, but it, it's it's not the same. It's not like a distributed content. It's just oh, I should have seen it coming. I actually did see it coming. So I'm I'm actually none of, none of this none of this surprises me at all. I would not say I'm caught surprised by any of this. The the only thing I'm surprised about is 1.4 was you know it's a beta and 2.0 is the you know the final product, but it's a completely different product. It works in a completely different way. Yeah. So all of that beta testing we did, we weren't beta testing the product that has just been released. If you're running BT Sync 2.0 now, you are a beta tester again because it's so fundamentally different. Right. It, it, it can't have been, you know, tested at the scale that um, you know 1.4 was. Yeah. Hmm. See, I wonder where I can go to download the latest version of 1.4. Uh, right, okay, let me paste a link in the chat room. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking into C-File. That's for sure. I've never heard of what, what C-File. Open source cloud storage for your teams and organizations. Organize files into libraries. Each library can be shared between users and into groups. A library can also be selectively synced to any device. Edit and comment on files online. Hey, uh, Wimpy, can you comment on that part? Edit and comment on files online. Is that like collaborative editing? And- uh, I haven't tested any of that stuff yet i'm own, i'm really only interested in file sync yeah um and all and what i've and you're doing I've done the self-hosting so far is, right yeah and all, all i've done so far is gone and read the documentation a couple of times so i know what to do when i get the time to actually set up a server huh. uh, now why use a c file what about sync thing um i've used sync thing it's not um, it's not e- even if you've only got, I've got maybe eight or nine devices that are in my sync network and just managing that number of devices with sync thing, having to keep exchanging the keys every which way is unmanageable. So it just doesn't scale. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got two computers, it's great. If you've got four computers, it's tricky. And if you've got, you know, more than six, it starts to get really cumbersome. Mm-hmm. Hmm, okay. I'm looking at uh, ccloud.cc, which is a uh, online commercial version of uh, cfile, and because uh, they they just because I was just curious if I I would probably roll my own, but this one uses Amazon Web Services for the backend storage. Uh, gross, uh, so, gross, huh? <laughs> well, I'll play with it some more, and we'll see what we get.